0: Through Habakkuk, which is—it's actually one of my favorite books, mostly because one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is the last few verses in chapter three, which is awesome. Uh, but just excited to teach some of this book to you. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Habakkuk two verses six through twenty, and part of what is great about this this book, which is one that we probably haven't read very much, it's a it's a, a prophetic book in the Old Testament. It's hard to pronounce, but A lot of what we're talking about here is some really challenging stuff of when everything in our life goes wrong, when it's worst case scenario and everything we'd planned kind of gets flipped upside down, how will we respond? It's really asking the questions of, do I really have faith in God? Do I really trust him, even if everything good and that I hope in is taken away? And that's really what Habakkuk is faced with in this passage, in this book, and wrestling with God in that. Alex did a really good job setting up this passage last week. And really, we're building off these, these two characters that the few, uh, first few verses in Habakkuk 2 talk about. And there's two characters, which are uh, the wicked, which is namely Babylon, who takes and, uh, through violence and pouring out their wrath to, to get their own glory and, and have as much as they can have and pillage other people. And then there's the righteous, in contrast, who lives by faith. And those are these two comparisons that God is talking about in this vision in Habakkuk 2. And so as we go through this, the rest of chapter two, there's two main themes I want us to talk through, and they're all based on those two characters. So the first theme, uh, they'll be on the screen here, is the Lord will not let sin go unpunished. That is the hope that he's giving to the nation of Judah and to Habakkuk is, hey, Everything that's going to happen, everything that's awful and terrible, there will be justice. And that's really what this main passage is saying here, that there will be justice, that God, justice, that God will not let sin go unpunished. And then there's the second portion, which is kind of that main tagline Alex talked about last week, is that the righteous will live by faith. So in comparison, when everything goes wrong, what does it look like to actually have faith in God? What does it look like to actually trust him? And really tie it to the gospel like Alex did last week. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, We're going to start with this first theme, and really we're going to go through all of this passage because it's all about this. Uh, But chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, are broken up into five woes or warnings. So throughout this you'll hear um, God give this vision to Habakkuk in, in five woes. And if you remember, I don't know if you were all here as Alex set this up when we first started talking about this, this book. But if you weren't there, the background of this book is that Habakkuk calls out to God and says, when are you going to punish Judah? Their sin is so vast. It's so awful. They're not following you at all. When are you going to bring them back to repentance by punishing them? And God's like, you know what? Actually, I am going to hold Judah, account- uh, Judah accountable. But how God plans to do that is through Babylon, who's far worse, who's doing child sacrifices, doing terrible things. And Habakkuk's like, God, I, hey, you know, I, I appreciate you pulling your people back to, the, uh, back to yourself, but that's not what I had planned. That's, that's not what I want. God, what are you doing if you're going to punish us with somebody worse than us? And God kind of responds in verse uh, chapter 2 saying, well, they're going to be punished as well. Like, it it may not be in the timing that you want, it may not be in your lifetime, but there will be justice, there will be accountability for Babylon as well. And that's what these woes are about in this passage, verses 6 through 20. So what we're going to do to start as we go through God will not let sin go unpunished is we're going to read through these woes. And I'm going to break them each down as we talk through them, um, but it's going to take us all the way through this passage. So let's start with uh, verses 6 through 8. This is what it says. Shall not all these take up their taunts against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man, the violence to the earth, and to cities and all who dwell in them. All right, so this is the first woe, the first warning that God gives to Habakkuk, saying this is what's going to play out for Babylon because of their sin, because of what they're doing to other nations. It's, It's a warning against them saying, hey, sin is serious. What they're doing is serious. And and it starts in verse six, and it basically says, shall not all these take up their taunts against him?" which is, is hard to understand, but what God is saying here is the nations that Babylon has attacked, pillaged, sinned against will rise up against them one day. That they will taunt them, that they will um, call out to them, taunting them, saying, hey, what us will happen to you as well? And that's really what plays out through the rest of this passage, that they've uh, stolen from them, they've put them in debt, um, and just as they plundered other people for spoils, the nations who they've plundered, the nations who they've destroyed will stand up against them and destroy them as well. Essentially, God's saying, with violence and wrath that Babylon pours out, so it will be done to them. And really, one of the themes here is, is you reap what you sow. And it's not like karma where, hey, what goes around comes around. It's, it's biblical justice. God's saying, hey, if you live in wickedness, if you sit here, there's going to be justice. A good God does not let sin go unpunished. And he's actually encouraging Judah and he's encouraging Habakkuk through these woes of saying, hey, there is accountability. I do know and I do see this and justice will be done. There was a pastor I used to sit under in college and he, he used to say this phrase as, as we would study the Bible. He would say, if you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. And it's a, it, it always stuck with me because what he was saying is, hey, there are, there are real consequences for sin. We need to take sin seriously. And if you're a follower of Jesus, what that means is you, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. That's awesome. But we still need to take sin seriously. Your, your sin's forgiven in Jesus, but there's still earthly consequences for it sometimes. There is, it's real. God provides earthly justice, and we want that. We want that as people, we want justice to be done. I'll give you an example. If you leave here, uh, you go to Applebee's and you're like, you know, margarita happy hour at Applebee's, and you drink too much and you get pulled over for a DUI on the way home. There's earthly consequences for that, right? You might be a follower of Jesus, you're forgiven for that, but there's still consequences for it. And what God's saying here is, hey, Babylon will reap what they'll sow. They sow. With the violence they've lived, it will be done to them as well. And so it goes on here to the second woe in verses 9 through 11. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You've forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, the beam from the woodwork will respond. And what God's saying here, what Babylon would do is they would capture nations and cities and take the best of their stuff, cut down their best forests, take their best uh, lumber, their best stonework, and bring it back to their capitals and their cities and build up huge walls and towers saying, this will protect us, that this is their glory. And God's saying, what you, what you thought was for your glory is for your shame. It, you have forfeited your life with your violence and how you've treated these people. That even if every nation you t- capture, um, you, you destroy and, and, and get rid of them, even the wood and the stones that you've built with will cry out against you for justice to God. It's a, a, a stark warning from the Lord that you reap what you sow. you go to verse 12 through 14, there's the third woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it's not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as water covers the sea. These woes really build off one another. And so this is, is really important to notice here. They take the resources as they plunder. But on top of that, they, they make cities their own, they destroy them completely, and then they take captives and slaves and force them to rebuild the city that's, that the Babylonians destroyed in their conquest and war. And God's saying, hey, this, this labor, this work is in vain because the Babylonian empire will fall. And we'll, we'll get to this a little bit more in detail in our second point here. But in 14, it's this comparison between God's kingdom and the Babylonian kingdom, empire. One will not last. One uh, will fall and will get, uh, deal with justice. But there's another kingdom, God's kingdom, where the whole world will know God. Like the water covers the sea, the whole world will know God. And it goes to the fourth one. Well, and 15 through 17. It says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and the violence of earth to the cities and all who dwell in them. And there's a ton in that passage. But what God is saying here is like you would maybe intentionally get somebody drunk to take advantage of them and expose them, steal from them, do whatever. The Babylonians poured out their wrath, took advantage of of the nations they went to war at, with. And when they were most vulnerable, when they were most exposed, they were, exposed, there wasn't grace, there wasn't mercy. They took everything they could from them. And God says again, with the violence, the plundering, the, the actions you've treated other people and other nations, it will be done to you as well. Again, you reap what you sow. And it closes here with a fifth well. Again, these warnings of what God promises will happen and has happened to Babylon. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts its own creation when he makes speechless idols? Woe to him who says with a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise, can it teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver and there's no breath at all in it but the Lord is his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This is a spiritual warning that Babylon has made its own gods, made its own idols. It's carved them with stone or wood and overlaid them with precious metals. And they fight wars for these idols, saying that these idols empower them, that it's why they conquer and why they rule. And yet they are dead, lifeless, carved images and god says in comparison in verse 20 he is alive that he is present in the temple with his people and that he can speak there's just a comparison between the one true god compared to the babylonians gods and what god is really saying here is there's going to be a time when justice comes for babylon where he will deal with that nation where their idols won't be there to save them. Their lifeless, uh, speechless idols can't do anything and God will provide justice. And why this is important, this whole passage, I know uh, it's probably hard as we go through that and I talk through that, you're like, okay, why does this matter? But what God's saying here to Judah and, and Habakkuk is this, in the midst of your life getting flipped upside down, you can trust me that there will be justice. You might not understand what I'm doing or what's going on, but justice is going to happen. I'm not going to let sin go unpunished. And he's encouraging them and promising them it will be done. And so there's two really, I think, practical applications for us in that. First, we need to take sin seriously. Because what that means is God will provide justice when we take advantage of other people. When we aren't taking sin seriously, God will provide justice. They're there, probably will be earthly consequences for what we do and that's okay. God uses those all the time to bend our hearts towards him and it's a good thing. Uh, So we need to take that seriously but the second thing is this. When life is not as you want it to be, when you've actually been wronged, when people intentionally, deliberately are against you, betrayed you, treat you terribly, When you don't know what's happening, you don't understand what God's doing, how do you respond? Because what God is telling us and encouraging us even today is, I am working through this. You might not see justice happening, but I will avenge you, I will provide justice for you, even when the worldly things like our laws and government is not providing it. One of my uh, favorite passages is Romans 12. Uh, and it gets into this a little bit in verses 19 through 20. You can put it up here. It says this, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome. Uh, don't, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do we respond when we're wronged? And what God's saying is, hey, you can be gracious, you can be patient in affliction because I will hold people accountable. In this life or the next, there will be justice. And that's encouraging to us, but that's encouraging to Judah and Habakkuk as well. And that brings us to the last theme in this passage, which is the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And Alex hit this really well last week. And it's this tension of what it means to have faith is putting our faith in Jesus, putting our faith in God and trusting him. But it's also God's faithfulness in us, bringing us into relationship with him, himself, actually making us righteous. So we know that we are only made righteous or holy or forgiven before God by putting our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. That's how you're made righteous. But what it says here is the righteous will live by faith. So the question here is, what does that mean for us practically? And for us, we know that means to live for Jesus, to surrender our lives to him, but it's not just a momentary decision. It's not like you make this prayer and you say, hey, Jesus, I know I need forgiven, and, and then you're good, and you don't ever think about it again. What I think a lot of this passage is talking about is this, this is an ongoing, pursuing God And surrendering your life to Him instead of to your own wishes. That faith is ongoing in God and what He's done for you. And and why I say that is God, in this passage, has given encouragement to Judah and Habakkuk and to us of why we can have faith uh, faith in Him in the unknown. And really, that's the practical question for us as well. When we don't know what's going on, when we don't know what God is doing in a certain situation and our life is totally flipped upside down. Will we trust him? Will we really put our faith in him? It's not just for our salvation, but for our life today, for tomorrow, for the decisions we make. Do I trust God with my dating relationships, with my job? What do I do when his word says something that I don't want to follow? Do I really have faith in him or is it something else? And that's what Habakkuk and Judah are wrestling with as well. So let me highlight two verses here that I think God speaks to to give us hope in the midst of this. First, let's go look at verse 14. It says, For the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And God says this to remind them that even though Babylon is destroying everyone, that, that God has said, Babylon's coming to your doorstep. Habakkuk, like, I don't know if you realize this, what, what Habakkuk was facing is that every person he'd ever know would either be enslaved or, in, or, or die in, in, being invaded. That's what he's faced with. And God's saying, hey, yeah, that, that's awful. But what I want you to know is there's hope in the future that Babylon's kingdom that they are building will not last. And that there will be a day when the earth as water covers the sea will be filled with the knowledge of God what's important for us to know there is the hebrew word for knowledge it's not information it's not that people will know about God it's a relational knowing that's the only thing that word means it's a relational knowing so the world will actually know have a relationship with God the whole world this is this is talking about the new heavens the new earth that all of creation will know God and have an intimate relationship with him. It's this promise that God will not leave it the way it is. And then he goes on in verse 19 through 20. He says, woe to him who who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent uh, stone arise, can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at it at all. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And you might miss this, but what God's saying is, hey, people trust in a lot of stuff, a ton of stuff. Babylon, it was their might and their power and their wrath and their violence, but God is saying, I am in my holy temple. And what that means is he's present with his people. And on this side of Jesus, what that means, if you're a follower of him, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God is present with you. And then he says, all of the earth will keep silent before him. And part of what that means in comparison to idols is that he is alive and he's a God who speaks and he's revealed himself, he has made himself known. And so in the midst of chaos and destruction and the world not being the way that we want, God's saying, first, I'm gonna provide justice Second, this is not always the way it's going to be. And third, I am there with you in the midst of it, and I am the one in charge. I'm the one that has power. I'm the one that's spoken and revealed myself. And so the question for us is really, what are we going to do with that? None of us have had the experience, Habakkuk, have, have had where our world is that turned upside down, where we're like, what is my country even going to look like tomorrow, next year, next week? But we have situations all the time that flip our lives upside down. So what does it mean to have faith in God in the midst of those? And the best illustration I can think of that has always helped me process this is a story about a guy named Charles Blondin. The great Charles Blondin. You can, yeah, put that photo up. So Charles Blondin is the first person to tightrope walk across the Niagara Falls. All right, so that's your fun fact for the day. A three-inch... diameter tightrope this is the late 1800s and uh, he got a ton of news attention thousands of people went to watch him to either watch him fall to his death or actually do it and what he did with confidence he he got on and tightrope walked across the niagara falls and as he went back he started going really fast and the crowd was going crazy they couldn't believe what they'd seen and they were just minds blown cheering for him but Charles Blond had so much confidence, he came back and started offering to give people piggyback rides back across or to push them in a wheelbarrow. This is actually from several years later. That's his manager on his back, and he carried him across. But the crowd that saw him do it, they were going crazy when they saw it, but when he offered to carry them across, no one said they'd do it. He had no volunteers. They'd seen him just do it, but no one would climb on his back. No one would get in the wheelbarrow. But what faith is, is when we can't do something on our own where we don't know actually how the situation is going to play out, it's getting on his back. It's getting in the wheelbarrow of faith and saying, God, I trust you with it. I can't do this. I can't get across that tightrope on my own. And I need to trust you with it. That it's, it's not just, we do that with salvation. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. But also with life, with the craziness of life not going the way that we want when we can't provide justice, when we can't fix what's going wrong in the world around us, are we gonna trust and sit in and lean into what God has done and promised us or are we gonna trust something else? And so really that's my challenge for you today as we go through these two themes. First, God will not let sin go unpunished. And so that's an encouragement but a challenge. uh, When you have... um, experience injustice, God will provide justice for you. Be encouraged in that. It might not happen in the timeline you want, but God will provide justice. But the second thing is this, the righteous will live by faith. And, and Hab- uh, Habakkuk and Judah, they, they didn't live on this side of Jesus. So they're wrestling with, God, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna save us? What are you gonna do? And even in Jesus, when, when life is flipped upside down, are we gonna trust God? Are we gonna lean in and get on his back and let us him carry us? Are we gonna jump in the wheelbarrow of faith or are we gonna say, no, I'm, I'm doing this on my own or I'm gonna trust money or I'm gonna trust this thing because I just can't deal with the uncertainty of what's in front of me. All right, let me pray for us, guys. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for this passage. Uh, so much in there and, and, and so much uh, complexity, Lord, but I pray that you would you would speak to us through it, that you would challenge us, make known to us uh, what we are living for other than you. What are we hoping for other than you? Are we in the wheelbarrow of faith? Are we letting you carry us in the unknown, not just with our salvation, but our daily life? Is it surrendered to you and trusting in you? Because Habakkuk and Judah, they weren't trusting in their own power to get them through it, but they were trusting in you, and Lord, we need the same thing. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.